Good morning and welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Andrew Irwin's and the show. Well, the disappointing January continued over the weekend as the Lakers lost to the Jazz in a game that felt very winnable. We have the latest on that loss and this month's impact on the coaching rumors and the trade rumors. Uh, we have a buyout rumor, which caught my, my, my attention over the weekend as well. And then we have a Cam Reddish injury that worries me, uh, legitimately worries me. So a lot to get to here on this fine freezing, in my case, Monday afternoon. So the Lakers lost to the Utah Jazz in Utah, 132-125. to 125. Uh, AD didn't play well, blamed himself for the loss. He finished with 15 points, 15 boards, and 11 assists. The rare triple-double that you blame yourself for winning, or for losing a game in. He was right, too. He didn't shoot the ball very well. 5 of 21 from the field, only shot six free throws. I thought was a little too concerned with trying to get to the free throw line or trying to draw contact or accentuate contact contact rather than uh, just playing through it and forcing the referee to make a call. Uh, D'Angelo Russell played and played really well. He played 41 minutes in those 41 minutes, scored 39 points, eight assists, three rebounds, uh, a steal, two block shots um, was a minus two. Uh, which is kind of insane compared to the rest of the starters. Cam Reddish uh, only played 11 minutes, so I'm not going to count his plus minus, but uh, Austin Reeves was a minus 21. Torian Prince was a minus 19. AD was a minus 12. Uh, D'Lo was only a minus two. That starting group was kind of a mess. Uh, hadn't played any minutes together before that game. Uh, so yet another example of that, of, of Darwin just kind of, Helter Skelter uh, decision-making process over the season. Um, Rui Hachimura made his return, only played 19 minutes. Kind of wonder if there was a bit of a minutes restriction there. But in those 19 minutes, 17 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 0 for 2 from three-point range, but 5 of 6 from the free-throw line, uh, grabbed three rebounds uh, and assist a steal. And then, uh, you know, Max Christie, who I thought was playing pretty well, um, played f only 14 minutes, one of two from the field there. Uh, only he, he had a one three-pointer. And his three-pointer, especially his catch-and-shoot three-pointers, has really been on an uptick lately. Not a ton of volume, but it, he's knocking him down. He was a plus nine, again, in a game that the Lakers lost by seven. And, uh, again, after the game, AD took accountability, said he needs to be better. This one's on him. And um, when you compare that to the lack of leadership from, say, you know, a head coach named after um, a, a, a piece of cold meat, uh, the, that goes a long way. When you think about the way that Anthony Davis plays and what he has to do out there on the court, he spends a lot of time yelling at guys defensively, right? He's the center fielder. He's the strong safety or whatever. He's the person at the middle of the defense who, while the ball is in play, is making sure that everybody is where they need to be vocally. And then if you watch him on plays where there's a breakdown, he does really get after guys. And he does make sure that they know they screwed that play up. And, you know, that that um, 
that type of leadership is effective if those guys also feel like he's going to hold himself accountable. I think sometimes this is a bit of a weakness with LeBron where LeBron will make sure to point out anytime somebody screws up and very rarely <laughs> says my bad. Um, and now look, LeBron makes fewer mistakes than most and has a lot more on his plate. So maybe there's a little more going on there or whatever, but um, this type of leadership AD is, I think the most popular guy in the locker room um, from what I've heard and, and just like kind of the general consensus. He's a very easygoing guy. He's a funny dude. He's, um, you know, very charismatic and, and all of those things. And this also, this interest and ability to look at a game and say, I needed to be better. And the Lakers had every opportunity to win that game. They had a double digit lead at various points in this one. And, uh, you know, wound up not being able to take care of business here. And, uh, you know, when you compare this message to Darvin Ham after every game, saying how the Lakers need to run harder and they need to run faster and grit grittier and all those things. And it's never, you know, he was asked about the the scheming and, and how many open threes the Lakers are giving up. And it's never, well, it's not my, it, it, he never says that it could possibly be his scheme. It always comes back to, you know, just got to run faster, just got to move harder, got to get to your spot and then get back to your spot and help if you need to help. When in reality, it is a scheme issue, right? Like it, you don't give up by far the most wide open three pointers just because your players aren't trying. That's not how this works. That's a, that's a, a team that feels like it is carrying out what the coach wants of it or is trying to carry out that game plan as best that they can, but are not equipped to do so. And the example I used last week was Darwin or was um, Austin Reeves in how, you know, it feels like he's over helping a bunch. I did some asking around and it turns out, you know, from what I've heard that he is just kind of following the game plan. He, he, <laughs> The various players and various coaches apparently have wondered aloud, like, um, you know, Austin isn't really a help defender. Why, why are we like hoping that he becomes one? And the problem with like utilizing Austin is like the, the, the help defender in that way. I get you want to pinch in, you want to close off passing lanes. You want to be a presence, right? Tag rollers and all of those things. Um, totally understand the fundamentals involved with, with those approaches. But in Austin's case, if you're going to utilize him in the way that the hot or the, uh, the bucks utilize Dante DiVincenzo, who's a lot more athletic than Austin and a much better just defender than Austin. Um, the DiVincenzo could slide into the paint, could cut off a, a, a driver and then close out and make an impact on a shooter and have that presence felt. And, um, you know, same goes for Chris Middleton, same goes for Pat Connaughton. And, and, you know, those kinds of defenders are very special, right? Like those, they, they won a championship in, in because of what those guys in part, because of what those guys were able to do, do consistently, um, defensively. Uh, you had Drew Holiday on that team, right? And, and, and the list kind of goes on from, you had Giannis, who is maybe the best, uh, help side defender outside of AD in the NBA, right? And so 
um, when you continue to like force a roster that is not built in the same way that you want it to be built to do these things, you know, things aren't just are not going to work. And when you refuse to look in the mirror, and I think this is where his quotes and the reports recently about the support that Darvin Ham has from the front office and from ownership, right? Um, I think that's where they kind of hurt Darvin in that he feels so secure. Why should I hold myself accountable? They think I'm doing a good job. I think I'm doing a good job. So long as my boss thinks I'm doing a good job, who the hell are these other people to tell me that I'm not? And um, and we did hear about that film session and, and, and all that stuff, but the slide has continued after the, the, the film session, and we haven't seen any notable difference in the coaching strategy from Darwin since that film session where, where he and players apparently hashed things out. So, like, it was refreshing. It's great. It's cool to see AD respond the way that he did, and I just wish once, just one time, you would get something from Darwin on that same line of thinking, some that same train of thought where it's like, yeah, perhaps I should stop hoping that Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell on the backside of my defense can pinch in and stop a defender or tag a roller and get back out and contest a three-point shooter. They are not built physically to do those things. They aren't quick enough. They aren't Delos, I guess, long enough to do it, but he's not fast enough. And, and as he has said, that's not necessarily something that he does. And, um, and yeah, I just, it's, it, you, you, you hate to lose that game. You hate to continue to lose in the way that the, the, that the Lakers have. And you hate to continue to see after every single one of these losses, as I talked about um, the other night, uh, after all of these losses, the report after, as as everybody's wondering the same thing, and the report is still like, nope, totally believe in Darwin. And I guess, uh, I guess that's where we need to go next. Again, I'm here to tell you through my sourcing, other reporters continue to echo this. Uh, I guess Brian Windhorse also has said something of to, to similar effect that Darvin is safe because of the way leadership Lakers leadership feels about him. Um, there's a lot of kind of speculation out there that, you know, the uh, Darvin's job is safe in large part because he can operate as the shield for Rob Polinka. And if Rob Polinka takes this loss and he doesn't have that shield anymore, he had now, he would, have then run out of shields and the next person to get held accountable would probably be Rob Polinka. And um, I think Jeannie also doesn't want to be one. I don't think she wants to have to hold Rob Polinka accountable. Um, there are the Kobe ties. This is her biggest hire. Uh, she stuck with Rob Polinka when after Magic Johnson stepped down to tweet, uh, she had every opportunity then to open up the hiring process and bring in somebody with a little bit more experience. Or if you were going to elevate Rob Polinka, you could bring in some people to fortify his staff. She opted not to do those things. It's a very thin front office that the Lakers work with. And it's fine if you want to control the narrative. And if you want to, you know, take you and assume 
more credit for things when they go well. But it also means that you're going to accept more. You have to accept more accountability when they don't. And if Darwin gets let go, ultimately the next person who has to face that music would be Rob Palenka. Again, he essentially ran a championship winning head coach in Frank Vogel out of town. There are people from the organization I've spoken to who wondered at the time about the roster because it was so clearly not a Frank Vogel roster. And they wondered what's going on here. Why, why would you give him this roster and expect him to turn this thing around? And again, I don't think Frank did a very good job there, but I don't think he could have done a very good job. And, and people have wondered if that was the point. And um, the running theory that I keep on kind of circling around is, you know, is Rob, is Rob a little nervous to have other competent people in the organization with him? Uh, because so long as he doesn't, he looks like a genius by comparison to his boss, ultimately. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the rumors continue about uh, Darvin Ham, as we all wonder, frankly, as we all hope, that at some point we get some kind of accountability here for, I think, one of the worst head coaching jobs I have ever seen. This goes back to like Dar Byron levels of incompetence, what we've seen from Darvin here. Um, I, I tweeted this out over the weekend. I was talking with a scout uh, last week or so, last couple of weeks, forget when exactly it was. Um, and we were going back and forth and the team that this person works for was, had just played the Lakers and he, uh, had just, you know, helped put together the scouting report. And I asked him what that, what's that like? I'm just like, like, what, what is the scouting report on the Lakers? And one of the lines that he said that has really stuck with me. And I know Cranjus, Tim from the Lakers exceptionalism pod has really been tracking these things in terms of when they're running organized offense versus when they're just playing pickup out there. But one of the things this person said was scouting and I'm quoting um, scouting them is weird. They run good stuff, but we kind of know eventually they'll just go away from it. And, you know, end quote there. And, and eventually like, like in, in the back and forth, it was like, yeah, like there are things we could do to take them out of some of those things or to stop them from getting there once they have some success. But, a lot of times they just wander away from success. And uh, LeBron has voiced frustration over this. And so to, to the people who say like, well, LeBron is the reason for that. I guess like that is kind of how he's operated, right? Okay, that's cute. You can coach for 43 minutes, but the last five minutes we are running pick and roll and I'm going to have the ball in my hands. And for good reason, he's for my money, the best basketball player I've ever seen. I was, a little young for, for MJ and uh, you know, for, for the Lakers though, as, um, as it was kind of portrayed to me, this goes beyond even LeBron, you know, wanting to run the offense late. It's, it's roster combinations, it's lineup combinations, it's rotations, it's timeouts, it's, it's defensive schemes and, and these things where, you know, they'll be doing something, they'll have some success. And LeBron has said it, right? We need to learn how to build on success so that we can actually tally up some wins or extend some runs. And um, 
and this scout was just like, yeah, they just don't do that for whatever reason. They just kind of stop and they, they have like basketball ADD and they just like wander away from what they should be doing. And, um, you know, it matches my eye, t- my, my eye test, um, you know, and, and like the, an- another little thing that I tweeted, this was, you know, right before I went on the air. Um, but the, if you, if I was to ask you in any LeBron and AD year, who would you think, especially both guys have basically been healthy all year. Who would you say or predict to be the most used two man lineup on the Lakers? It would probably be LeBron and AD, right? Like <laughs> it's not a trick question. That's like, well, that's what I'd be hoping to hear from somebody I asked that about or asked that too. But no, actually this year, the two guys who have played the most so far this season have been AD and Torian Prince. And some of that is availability. I don't think Prince has missed a game in 80. I think if he's missed any, I think he's missed one total. So that is a factor here, but they've all, they've, they've played AD and Torian Prince have played 972 total minutes together. LeBron and AD have played 889 total minutes together, like a hundred minutes more. It's not a small sample. And, um, you know, even worse is that in those minutes that LeBron and AD are out there together, the Lakers are only 0.2 points per hundred possessions better than their competition. That ain't good. If you want to know why the Lakers have looked so mediocre, uh, mediocre all year, that's probably why. Because <laughs> the Lakers are mediocre when their two best players are on the court. Um, that means that like you have to make up for that in on, on certain nights. Raj tweeted this out, um, you know, and I, I guess this is uh, of late. He uh, this was uh, late Sunday night. He tweeted this since the in season tournament. They've played 17 games. The Lakers have been outscored by 84 points when AD is on the floor. The Lakers have been outscored by 120 points. By uh, when LeBron is on the floor, this is again the 17 game sample size is almost a quarter of the season. Uh, so this is not a small sample. Uh, the Lakers have been outscored by 94 points when both are on the floor. You're st- <laughs> you're not winning if your two best players are out there and you suck. You suck. Like there are foundational problems to the Lakers right now. And, you know, Dan Wojcicki mentioned this the um, in, in one of the games that the Lakers played previously. And, and he said that he doesn't like to editorialize while he is reporting on the game. But he said it kind of struck him how quickly the Lakers just kind of accepted the fact that they were going to get run off of the court in that game. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have that tweet right in front of me. And, and yeah, I just I I think there's a sincere lack of belief in the locker room towards Darvin Ham. And even as Jeannie Buss and Rob Palinka keep telling whoever will listen about how much they trust this guy, and they keep telling Darvin how great a job they think he's doing and how great he is at this, uh, the people in that locker room and the people who work with Darvin on a more day-to-day basis who have to pull this stuff together at the basketball ops level of the organization, 
there's a there's a like I'm gonna be careful because apparently now I can get aggregated, but I'm told there's a legitimate rift growing in the organization as it pertains to Darvin Ham. Period. There are people who really believe in him. We know who they are. And there are people who have legitimate, serious questions about him. If you watch the games, you can probably identify at least one person who really feels that way. So, yeah, you have that going on. And and I, I'm sorry, like you're not. You can only take so much noise. A team can only overcome so much noise and so much ineptitude from their head coach. And I think the Lakers have reached that breaking point. And night in, night out, they're playing with such a small margin for error. And it's because their coach is so adept at errors. Now, in terms of the trade market, um, a lot of what you would expect, right? We heard right over the uh, right before the weekend, apparently, that the Lakers, according to Woj, uh, have engaged with the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks about Dejounte Murray. The, the The Hawks want Rui, they want Reeves, they want the first rounder. They need to not, you know, just look. When I say that, like self preservation is a key, like principle to the Lakers. I should all I, I as Aaron would tell me to say self-preservation is a is a foundational uh factor to just about every NBA executive, right? And um it's the it's the people who have succeeded enough to rise above that fear who are the best at their jobs. And they're it's it's kind of a uh chicken egg kind of situation. Are you as good at your job because you can operate freely without having to uh, worry that your next decision could be your last or do you get to operate that way because you've made so many great decisions over the years? I don't know. Uh, I, 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 th I would probably go with the former. Uh, I just don't think that in any walk of life, if you are afraid of failure or you're afraid of the, consequences to failure you are never going to take chances and you are never going to be the best version of yourself at that job or whatever it is that you're trying to do if you aren't willing to take chances and um anyway so the hawks the the, the people who traded for De Dejounte murray if they turn around and they trade him away for nickels on the dollar or something like that um, that looks bad on their resume and they can't do that. So the idea that they would like take, you know, D'Angelo Russell and a protected first or something like that, just to, just to break up DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is not how this is going to play out. Um, and look, it, it, the further that you get into the season and the worse and the worse and the worse that the Lakers look, the more intriguing it becomes to maybe part ways with something that you don't really want to. That's why last week when I had that conversation on Thursday with Aaron about everything that I knew to that point, I made sure to keep saying what I was reporting then is accurate up to that moment because things can change so quickly. 
Now, I haven't heard any update about their willingness to trade Reeves. Um, I have I, I, I have not heard. I, I guess I heard a bit of an update um, about the first-round pick, that the, the, the more it looks like this team needs help or needs to consolidate its talent so that, you know, more guys get, you know, play roles commensurate with their talent, um, that they are becoming, I guess, a little more open to trading that, that 2029 pick. As Aaron said, it behooves them to trade specifically the 29 pick so that uh, you don't run into the Stepien rule when on draft night um, you can then move the 31 pick. So, you know, if you move the 30 pick, you still, I guess, technically have access to your 29 pick, but you can't move it because that trips off the Stepien rule. Same goes for the, the 31 pick if the Lakers decide to move that. Um, and I know people are going to say, like, could you just use somebody with your first round pick? They took Jalen Hood Shafina. So I'd rather them trade it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, uh, as far as the trade market goes, I keep getting told from everybody that I talk to that Levine is just not going to happen. I, I, things would have to be sincerely dire, not just from the Lakers perspective, but from the Bulls perspective to where they realize, oh my God, we have to attach something to make Zach Levine more tradable, i.e. Alex Caruso, somebody who they consider, like they do not want to trade Alex Caruso. I'm not going to call him untouchable because nobody is, um, or, or like 10 people are, but they really don't want to trade Alex Caruso. Um, they really don't want to attach draft capital to Zach Levine to get off of that contract. Um, they are, they, they don't need, they, they, they can't, if they trade Zach Levine right now, the stance that they are holding is that they have to take on like plus value for him, or they, they should take on plus value for him. But around the league, he is starting to look more and more like a negative asset. And that contract is starting to look more and more like a negative asset. He is a very good player. He is a supremely talented player. Some injury questions about him and some impact questions about him. But at the end of the day, the reason people see him around the league the way that they do is because of that contract. It is an albatross. And if you have that on your books, you're worried about the, the second apron. You're worried about you know luxury taxes. You're worried about what you can do with the other one or two max spots on your roster. That contract is is legitimately terrifying to teams, and you know the way that people keep on phrasing it is that you know somebody has to make the most sense for Zach Levine, and that somebody seems to be the Lakers because I guess they technically have the most interest in him. But I keep getting told in extremely clear terms that is not something that they are interested in doing. Is is Zach Levine Murray? Yes. There's very real interest there. Somewhat split there because you have kind of like people who side with clutch in that organization are more interested in Murray than say like the non clutch faction of the organization. Um, and that's a bit of a factor there as well as it always stupidly seems to be with everything going on with the Lakers. Um, but that, you know, as far as the trade stuff, that's where they find themselves right now. And, and look, I would also say, 
I know we've spent a lot of time talking about Levine. I know we have spent a lot of time talking about Murray. And as you guys are listening to this, it will be January 15th. So those guys that we're talking about, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, those guys will be eligible to be, they are trade eligible today as you guys are listening and or watching this on, on YouTube. And um, that noise with some of these guys is going to continue to increase, especially as the Lakers, as the Lakers continue to play uninspired basketball. Uh, but I would point out that basically every single move that the Lakers have made has come out of left field, right? The Russell Westbrook trade was a surprise. Kyle Kuzma thought he was going to be a Sacramento King. Rui Hachimura was a surprise, right? The fact that they were able to get him for Kendrick Nunn in like a second rounder was a legitimate surprise. Even trading Russell Westbrook, right? The first year when they decided not to do it, that was a surprise. And then when they finally did it, it was a bit of a surprise considering to that point, we kept on hearing about the Kyrie stuff and that if Russell was going to get shipped out as Kyrie was demanding a trade, people kept putting those two things together and thought that, yeah, if a trade was going to happen, it would be Russ for Kyrie Russ and a bunch of stuff for Kyrie, um, especially if Kyrie forced his way to LA and uh, eventually that wound up not being the case, right? Uh, nobody had done any reporting on D'Angelo Russell or Jared Vanderbilt or Malik Beasley. You know, um, eventually when the Lakers traded Patrick Beverly for Mo Bamba, nobody saw that coming. Didn't like that trade, but nobody saw that coming. And I would warn you, even as I do everything that I can to dig this up, Rob Palinka works with an extremely you know, thin circle in terms of the people who actually know what he is getting ready to do at the time that he does it. So it isn't until we like know exactly what a trade is going to look like that we will, <laughs> that I'll be able to comment on it basically, because that's just how Rob Polinka operates. He doesn't have a general manager, doesn't have an assistant general manager. I don't, think he does well, maybe he might he might it might be joey or jesse but it, regardless it's a very like thin the, the 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 group of people who know what's going on as the lakers are getting ready to make an actual personnel move um that is a very very short list of people and uh you know we'll just have to see what that trade looks like if and when it happens i would say when I'd be pretty surprised given the way that the season is going if they don't make a trade. But if they keep sliding, you know, Rob might just say this is a lost season. I don't think he can afford to have a lost season. Um, I think if they have a lost season, essentially with Rob basically kind of stapling himself to Ham, uh, if they have a lost season and Ham gets let go, you have to think Rob would have to be, you know, pretty close behind him considering he chose not to make a move on Darwin and or not to make a move to fix the roster. So yeah, I, 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 uh, I do expect the Lakers to do something. Um, it does look a little more likely now that they move that 29 pick than it did last time you heard from me uh, last week on Thursday, but 
we'll, you know, we just have to wait and see. Last little thing on the rumors thing. Um, Jake Fisher of Yahoo reported that teams around the league are kind of keeping an eye on Gordon Hayward to see if he gets bought out. And I have a few thoughts. First, and I don't, I want to be clear. I'm not questioning Jake's reporting here. Jake is extremely plugged in. He's one of my closer friends in this thing. I really respect the way that he does this. At some point soon, I plan on having him on the show as we enter trade season. But um, normally, guys who make the amount that uh, Gordon Hayward makes, they would rather not be bought out because once you get bought out and you start making the prorated minimum, you get seen as a minimum player. And for somebody with his injury history, if the league has any excuse whatsoever to see him as a minimum type player, they will. And I think he and his representation would probably like to avoid that. We saw that play out with Gary Harris in Orlando where I had been hoping that he would get bought out because a shooting guard, a defensive-minded shooting guard, a bigger guard who's like switchable and all those things, him getting bought out would have been great. Um, and and this year, by the way, the Lakers will have upwards of uh, $1.8 million bucks in uh, extra money to offer above the prorated minimum because they didn't give Gabe Vincent uh, the entire taxpayer mid-level exception. And uh, so that's worth keeping an eye on as well. And, you know, the other thing here too is those teams that are above the second apron, I believe. Um, my buddy Justin Russo, who covers the Clippers, tweeted about this. But let's see, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? This is great audio and video. Here we go. Justin Russo tweeted, um, on the Gordon Hayward potential buyout front, please remember that teams presently at or above the second apron cannot sign Hayward if he gets bought out. It means the Bucks, uh, the Bucks, Celtics, Clippers, Suns, and Warriors wouldn't be able to buy uh, to 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 sign him if he gets bought out. So you have less competition for him, and the Lakers have more money to offer. And Hayward would be one of the better buyout players in recent memory. He's playing really good basketball. He just has that terrible injury history that really scares teams off. But um, I would believe it if and when I saw it, if Hayward got bought out. Um, and I also kind of think that if the Lakers really uh, were in on Hayward, they would do some homework, wink, wink, uh, as far as like, uh, you know, figuring out his priorities, right? Does he want to go to Indiana and be closer to home? Does he want to go to uh, Utah, right? Where and, and have that kind of full circle moment on a team in Utah that is really playing good basketball? Um, is he looking for opportunity? Is he looking for money? Whatever it is, um, the Lakers would do their, their homework. And look, the Lakers have a ton of wings. And, um, they might not have one for the foreseeable future, as I talk about Cam Reddish in the next segment. But you know, you have you have uh, Torian Prince, who's playing a ton of minutes. You have Jared Vanderbilt, who is going to be expecting to play more and more minutes over the course of the year. 
Same goes for Rui Hachimura. They keep on trying to find minutes. Well, it doesn't look like it with the way that Darwin coaches them, but they should be looking for more for more minutes for Max Christie. So, like, the Lakers have a ton of wings, and I kind of wonder if, if they talked to Gordon Hayward or his people or back-channeled to find out what it would be that 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 uh, Gordon would be looking for, if they would be informed, yeah, you're going to have to trim that wing rotation a little bit. Gordon is going to be out to prove to people that he should still warrant a you know higher than veteran minimum contract this upcoming summer, and in order to do that, he needs ample opportunity. Now that obviously comes with risk because you just can never bank on him being healthy. And that is certainly kind of terrifying. The thought, the thought that if you are going to have a chance at signing this guy, you have to trim down players at a very important spot to be able to give this guy the opportunity he is looking for. And, you know, that's a, that would be a, that would be a subject of the podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you that much that, you know, I, it certainly seems like something Aaron and I would talk about, um, you know, awkwardly because he couldn't mention Gordon by name, but, but yeah, I, that rumor caught my attention um, in part because I'm a little skeptical about how that would actually play out, but also because that does seem like quite the opportunity for the Lakers, given the lack of, uh, competition for him and the extra money that they would be able to offer. All right. Uh, last thing here on the docket has to do with Cam Reddish. It is being reported or the Lakers themselves called it um, <clears throat> with their uh, injury report or their, their Lakers status report um, that they sent out Sunday evening. Uh, Anthony Davis left ankle sprain slash bone bruise is considered probable. LeBron James uh, left ankle perineal tendinopathy is considered questionable. And then you have at the bottom of it, Cam Reddish with a left knee effusion and Gabe Vincent with that left knee surgery are both out. A reminder, the thing that started all this with Gabe Vincent in the first place was a right knee effusion. Or no, a left, a left, left knee infusion. Uh, that's you wouldn't have had that, and then got surgery on the other knee. Uh, although, never mind. I'm not going to make the joke I was going to. But uh, a left knee inf uh, infusion for Cam Reddish. For those of you who don't remember this, essentially, uh, and this is what Jen told me: your bone swells uh, because of impact, whether it is uh, acute impact that happens once, whether it's repetitive impact whatever it might be, the actual bone itself swells up a little bit. And obviously if a bone swells at all, that is going to be very painful. And the problem with this is after you find a way to get that bone swelling down, which sometimes requires surgery. Um, after that, you typically have a contusion to deal with a bone bruise to deal with that is left behind that, uh, swelling. And again, that's why when, uh, when I told Jen that Gabe Vincent is dealing with left, a, a left knee effusion, she was, she actually said like, Oh God, who, what, how, 
And when a doctor reacts that way to an injury, and Jen has seen some gruesome shit in her career, um, whether it was in training or in her various jobs to this point, for somebody to say like, oh, God, what? If that's the reaction to that injury, I'm going to be a little nervous. And in this case, uh, with Reddish, seeing that phrase again makes me nervous. And then shortly after that, so I quote tweeted, I think it was Kobe Price, whose um, update I saw first. Uh, after that, you had Dave McMenamin uh, tweet out, uh, quote, ESPN sources with Woj ESPN, uh, Los Angeles Lakers forward Cam Reddish could miss a few games with this left knee soreness. Reddish has averaged 6.5 points, 2.3, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and yeah, that, so Clutch is always going to be very careful with the amount of information that they put out there. They are very much in the business of downplaying injuries and guys tend to miss more time than anticipated going into an injury because they downplay it. Um, so the fact that we got this like an hour or two after the injury report was very notable, notable to me in that like even, you know, clutch is willing to say, yeah, he's probably going to miss a little bit of time with this. And so um, look, the way that two people respond to injuries and, and two injuries, even if they have the same name, are not always the same or never the same, right? Um, these things are not, you know, a one-to-one -one comparison and the outcome is never predictable or, or you, you know, the outcome to somebody else's injury is never predictive specifically for the next time that you see that injury with somebody else. People have different pain tolerances. People have different bodies. People respond differently to different treatments. All of these things go into this. But when you see that same injury and when you see how long it has taken Gabe, I think conservatively right now, we can at least say we probably aren't going to see Cam for a short, you know, a, a good little while. I'll also say on this front, because I, I, you know, I tweeted something to that extent um, when I, I saw the, the the reporting done on this and 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 saw the injury itself. I saw a lot of people go like, "Oh, thank God, that means more max minutes." And I understand it. Sports breaks our brains, but this is a guy who is fighting to stay in the NBA. This is a guy who has outperformed expectations. And yeah, there's been some diminished value there because Darwin is um, playing him more than he should be. But it like injury is never something I'm willing to say like, oh, thank goodness, because this is these people's lifestyle. The uh, life, this is how they make their living, right? Um, you know, it'd be akin to when I was going through all my strep stuff. Uh, and, and, and look, there were some nights where I was like up late, legitimately concerned, man, am I ever going to like talk right? You still hear me coughing occasionally. It's been like a month since. And imagine like my competition, somebody out there, you know, saying, Oh, thank God. That's one, that's one little bit less competition, especially given the year that I'm having and the way that the show has grown. 
Um, it would I, if I found that out <laughs> that somebody had that response to me getting sick like that with something as specific as my voice when that is the way that I make my living, I'd have some problems with that person. So as I, I understand the instinct, and I, I I just think sports breaks our brains, but I do sincerely hope that Cam makes a full and and speedy recovery, and that whenever he does, Ham uses him in a way that doesn't get people to like jump to that hope or that conclusion when they find out about Cam's injury. All right, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown. Um, we have a really fun week ahead of you. We have Harrison is going to be our, our, our guest on Tuesday. We have a post game tonight by the time you guys are listening to this as the Lakers will be taking on uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, that's not going to be an easy game. So we'll talk about that game later tonight. I'll be on All Access Lakers to watch it with you. Playback.tv slash All Access Lakers is where you could find us to watch it there. And then um, on, yeah, so Tuesday is Harrison. Wednesday, I have a friend of the show, somebody who has been on a couple times in the past, somebody who I absolutely love talking basketball with. Um, a really unique perspective there on Wednesday. Thursday is Aaron. Friday's happy hour, and we send you off into the weekend after that. So until then, and until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying please subscribe, please rate, review, five-star questions, five-star topics, VIP on, on YouTube, all of that good stuff. Now we'll talk to you tonight.